We're going to the book of Luke, chapter 2. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was the governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph went up to the town of Nazareth, to Galilee, to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David. Because he belonged to the house in the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for a baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in the manger because there was no room in the guest room for them. And then there were shepherds living out in the field nearby, watching over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This is a sign. You shall find a baby wrapped in cloths, laying in the manger. Suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on peace on earth on his whom his favor rests. Then the angels had left him and gone to heaven, and the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby was laying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what they had been told about the child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they were told. Don't you love the Christmas story? Now, December 9th was the 58th anniversary of the showing of Charlie Brown Christmas. Did you know that? Yesterday was the 58th anniversary. And a bit of trivia for you sitting here today, it has not been seen on regular TV, on regular TV channels since 2020. In 2018, Apple bought the rights to the franchise And today, you need to have Apple TV to watch it. And while most of us grew up watching this animated special, there are a number number of hesitations about it when it first aired. As a matter of fact, for the sponsor and the network, they were kind of hoping that that it wouldn't be a complete disaster. And they would be able to shelve it and hopefully people would forget about it. And maybe you're wondering what the problem was. Well, there wasn't a problem. There was a multitude of problems. When Coca-Cola and CBS first started the project, they were visioning a a light-hearted animated Christmas special with laugh tracks and and, and secular theme. Instead, they ended up with this melancholy tale complete with jazz music. What kid listens to jazz music? And a reading from the King James Bible. 
Peanut, the Peanuts creator, Charles Schultz, insisted that no laugh track be used at all in the feature. In a meeting, Schultz said, the network should let people at home enjoy the show at their own speed in their own way. And then he walked out of the meeting room. And he ended the argument right there. It kind of sounds like Schultz had a little bit of Lucy in him that morning, right? He just said, no, I ain't doing it. Then Schultz also refused to use adult actors for the voices. Instead, he cast neighborhood children for the parts to preserve the innocence. But it also made it a little funnier and a little edgier. One snag was that some of the kids were so young they couldn't read their lines that were fed to them and they had to be fed the lines line by line and the only adult voice used in the whole show was for Snoopy. These are the kids making the... That's the picture below That's who did it. In spite of their worst fears, Charlie Brown Christmas has become an enduring part of Christmas. The Christmas season. And an absolute major hit year after year. How many folks here today have watched the Charlie Brown Christmas point one time in their life? See, you, there isn't a hand that's not up. And the entire show comes down to the question asked by Charlie Brown, isn't, isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? Now, for you trivia lovers... This is the only time in the history of the Linus character that he is not holding his security blanket by his own free will. Now, in one show, it was stolen, but he got it back. Here he lays it down as he shares the true meaning of Christmas with us and the Charlie Brown characters and the world who watched the show. Then after this point, he picks it back up. For Snoopy, Christmas was all about... Christmas. It doesn't take long to discover Snoopy is a big Christmas fan and he seems to love Christmas, but he really loves his the idea of Christmas. He loves all the hoopla and the excitement and the lights and the glitz. Snoopy would right he would be right at the curb for the big parade and the lights of the parade. And he'd be first in line to see the Christmas, the grand parade and the Christmas tree light up, that's a Snoopy. And it's easy to get in all caught up in the hype without understanding what Christmas is all about. Jesus came to give you eternal life, not a holiday. In contrast to Snoopy, you see, Lucy, for Lucy, Christmas was all about the effort. Lucy's so wrapped up and makes sure everything's right for Christmas, she misses Christmas. She's organizing Christmas play. She's responsible for finding the perfect tree that she gave Charlie Brown to do, and he failed, right? But it didn't fail. If Christmas doesn't make a difference on how we live every day, not just December 25th, then it's made no difference at all in our lives. Because we celebrate the birth of Christ, we should be able to celebrate something bigger than a baby born 
some 2,000 years ago. With the birth of Jesus, we need to be celebrating changed lives and a changed world and changed eternities. Otherwise, we just like the shepherds who are invited to celebrate the birth of the Messiah, they showed up rejoicing and they disappeared. Not mentioned again. There's no mention again in the Bible of the shepherds. In God's holy word, it's not there. Jesus' birth made an immediate impact on them. But did it have a lasting impact? Now, me personally, I would personally love to tell you, I believe it did. But there's no scripture to back it up. Can I believe it? Do I want to believe it? I do. But there's no lasting recorded message of it making any difference to them. Christmas has to be, has to last longer than the leftovers of Christmas Day. And if we're truly to understand what Christmas is about, it must. Now, Charles Dickens, in his wonderful play, he wrote, I will honor Christmas and my heart and try to keep it all year long. You know the play? Because Dickens understood the truth that Christmas doesn't, if it doesn't change your life, then you miss what Christmas is all about. Does that make sense? As we delve into God's holy word today, think of this. As weak as a baby is a common expression that could be applied to the baby Jesus in the manger. Eh, we'll talk about that. While he was weak as a baby, as any other human, humanly speaking baby, he was also the center of power as far as heaven was concerned. In verses 1 through 7, we learn that Caesar Augustus was ruling, but God was actually in charge. For he who Caesar... He used Caesar's edict to move Mary and Joseph 80 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem to fulfill his word. Now, allow me to repeat that again. 80 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem. 80 miles while you're ready to give birth. And there's no record of a donkey in God's holy word. They may have, may not, don't know. 80 miles the week of giving birth. Think of what that actually is talking about. Rome took a census. Every 14 years, both military and for tax purposes, and every Jewish male had to return to the city of his fathers to record his name, his occupation, his property, and his family. And then Mary said, Be unto me according to thy word. That's recorded in Luke chapter 1, verse 38. It meant from then on her life would be part of the fulfillment of divine prophecy. 
God had promised the Savior would be a human, not an angel. And that's Genesis 3, 5 and Hebrews 2, 16. And if you're a visitor today, I'm going to quote lots of scriptures so you can check me out so I'm, I'm, you know I'm not making up anything. Matter of fact, let's do some more. He, it, God's holy word promised he'd be a Jew and not a Gentile. That's Genesis 12, 1 through 3, and Numbers 24, 17. He would be from the tribe of Judah, Genesis 49, 10. He would be of the family of David, that's 2 Samuel 7, 1 through 17. No, 1 through, yeah, 1 through 17. In Bethlehem, the city of David, he would be born of a virgin. That's Isaiah 4.17, and Bethlehem is Micah 5.2. All this was prophesied. All of this occurred just as Scripture said, and Caesar unknowingly played an important part. History is his story. History is the unrolled scroll of prophecy. If God's word controls our life, then the events of history will only help us fulfill the will of God. Mary and Joseph were already husband and wife by Jewish law, but since they did not consummate their marriage until after Jesus was born, she was called an espoused wife. That's Matthew chapter 1, 18 through 25. Let's be honest. The journey must have been very... Hard and trying for her. But she rejoiced at the will of God. She was no doubt glad to get away from the wagging towns of Nazareth. You know? Mothers in that day wrapped their babies and infants in long brands of cloth to give the limbs protection. Now we would call them swaddling clothes if you have an old King James Bible or the strips of cloth. They. That's what they did. They wrapped them up. They bind them up. But they also buried the babies in there because so many of the firstborn child would die. The original word translated manger, that's in Luke 2, 17 and 12 and 16, is translated stall in Luke 13, 15. It's not a mistake. It can either mean a feeding trough or an enclosure for animals. The word is interchangeable. If you travel in Israel today, you'll see ancient stones that hollowed out, you know, for feeding trusts. They didn't use wood. They used stone because they had lots of rocks. Wood's expensive. Rocks are cheap. And probably such a rough cradle was what the infant Jesus was in. Many scholars actually believe he was born in a cave. It's most likely he was in a cave because wood was very expensive and they'd just dig it right in the side of the mountain where they're at and they, they got a place for the animals. Wood was the most expensive thing they had, almost. So, you know, maybe your manger scene with all the wood posts may not be right, but still the idea is right. Bethlehem means the house of bread. The ideal place, birthplace for for the bread of life. Now that's John 6, 35. He's the bread of life. It's rich history, including the death of Rachel and the birth of Benjamin. If you want to write them down, it's Genesis 30, chapter 35. 
Also in Matthew 2, if you want to write it down. The marriage of Ruth and the exploits of David. It's worth noting that the name Benjamin means son of my right hand and the name David means my beloved. And both those names apply to our Heavenly Father's Son, our Lord. He is the beloved Son, Luke 3.22, and the right hand of God, Psalms 110, verse 1. His birth through angels from heaven, and that's recorded in verse 8 through 14 of our scripture reading today. Now, how amazed the angels must have been when they saw the Creator born as a creature. The Word becoming a speechless baby. Best commentary, if you want to read this on yourself, is 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. Now, why are we quoting all these scriptures? So you can look it up in this season. The best response from our hearts is wonder and worship. The great mystery of godliness, God was manifested in the flesh, 1 Timothy 3.16. The first announcement of the Messiah's birth was given by an angel to some anonymous shepherds. Why shepherds? Why not priests? Why not scribes? By visiting shepherds, the angel revealed the grace of God towards mankind. Shepherds were really the outcasts of Israel. Their work not only made them ceremonially unclean, but kept them away from the temple for weeks at a time so they couldn't be made clean. God does not call the mighty, he calls the poor and the lowly. Now, that's found in Luke 1, chapter 1, verse 51 and 53. The the Messiah came to be the good shepherd, both the good shepherd and the Lamb of God, the sacrifice for the sins of the world. These shepherds most likely, almost positively, were caring for the flocks that will provide for the sacrifices for the temple services. Now, why do I say that? This is where the lambs were kept and raised until they were fully time for their sacrifice to the temple. Six miles from the temple. This was where they kept the sheep. This was Bethlehem's job to raise the sheep for the temple. And our Savior was born there. This was the town of Bethlehem's job. Raise the sheep and make some bread. It is fitting that the good news about God, shepherd, and lamb first came to humble shepherds. Shepherds are not easily fooled. They were practical men of the world who had little room for fantasy. If they said they saw angels and went and found the Messiah, you could believe them. God has selected hard-working men to be the first witnesses that his son had come into the world. One angel, first, one angel appeared and gave the announcement. And then a chorus of angels joined in and gave a praise anthem. For the first time in centuries, the glory of God returned to the earth. He'd been... He'd pulled out. He'd left them. Now, if brave shepherds 
were afraid at what they saw and heard, you can actually say it was real. They saw it. They were afraid. If you saw host of heavenly angels, wouldn't you be afraid? Wufta. You can be sure it was real. Fear not is one of the key themes of the Christmas story. In the original tongue, the original tongue, literally the angel said, I announce to you the good news. A great joy shall be to all people. That's a literal translation. He used the word that means to preach the good news. Luke uses this word in both his gospel and the book of Acts. We see here Luke's emphasis on a worldwide gospel. The good news is for everybody, not just the Jews. And after finding the baby, they reported the good news to others, glorifying and praising God. They took the place of the angels, the shepherds did. And then they humbly returned to their duties. New men going back to the same old job. By Jewish law, shepherds were not permitted to testify in court. They were unclean. God used some humble shepherds to be the first human witnesses that the prophecy had been fulfilled and the Messiah had been born. Now, why did he use them? Because angels have never experienced the grace of God, so they can't bear witness as we can. Telling others about the Savior is a solemn obligation as well as a great privilege. That's just a simple fact. And we who are believers must be faithful. So what is the good news? Not that God has sent a soldier, a judge, or a reformer, but he has sent a Savior to meet man's greatest need. It was the message of peace to a world that had known much war. Now, the famous Pax Romana, the Roman peace, had been in effect since 27 B.C., but the absence of war does not guarantee the presence of peace. Now, the Stoic philosopher Epictetus said, while the emperor may give peace from war on land and sea, he is unable to give peace from passion, grief, or envy. Couldn't do it. He cannot give peace of the heart for which a man yearns even more than outward peace. Now the word Jewish word shalom means much more than peace. It means more than a truce of battles in life. It means well-being. It means health, prosperity, security, soundness, completeness. It has more to do with the character than the circumstances. Life is difficult. At that time, just as it is today. Any of you having struggles today? We had every distraction in the world possible before church. But I promise you they'll all be worth it because downstairs there's a whole bunch of ladies getting food ready. Okay? You'll forget about the distractions when you get into that ham. 
See, in those days, they had taxes. The taxes were high. Unemployment was high. Morals were slipping lower and lower. And the military state was in control. Roman law, Greek philosophy, and even Jewish religion could not meet the needs of man's hearts. Then God sent his son. The angel praised God at creation. They praised him. And now they're praising him at the beginning of a new creation. The whole purpose of the plan of salvation is to glory, bring glory to God. And you see that as you read Ephesians chapter, chapter 1, verses 6 through 14. It's all about bringing glory to God. God's glory dwelt in the tabernacle in Exodus chapter 40, and in the temple, 2 Chronicles chapter 7. But it had departed. It had been hundreds of years because of the nation of Israel's sin. They'd gone. And now God's glory was returning to earth in the person of His Son. The lowly manger was the holy of holies because Jesus was there. His birth drew shepherds from the field. The phrase, even unto Bethlehem. Okay, even unto Bethlehem suggests that these men were located some distance away. But they were willing to make the trip in order to see the newborn Messiah. Certainly, they may have arranged for their flocks or they might have left them with the angels. We don't know. I mean, but they hastened to Bethlehem. You could call this the first Christmas rush. It could be. But it was certainly different from the Christmas rushes we see today. The verb for the word found in Luke chapter 2 means found after a search. They didn't go right to it. They had to search. The shepherds knew what they had to look for. A new, a, a, a newborn baby wrapped in swaddling clothes laying in a manger and they found him. And they worshipped him and they marveled at God's grace and the goodness of the miracles that he wrought for them. These shepherds are good examples for us to imitate today. They received by faith the message God sent them and then responded in, in immediate obedience. Any of you ever do things immediately? See, now, I'm going to stretch you here now. Christmas is... Now, hear me out. you got to hear the whole thing out. Hear it out. Christmas isn't about a baby being born. Did I shock you? Too many people who proudly talk of keep keeping Christ in Christmas are reminding people that Jesus is the reason for the season. That's a great saying. But they have a one, too many people have a one-dimensional view of Jesus and it's summed up in Luke chapter 2, verse 7, which we read today. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for him in the end. And truthfully, that is how it all began. The Apostle Paul reminds us that in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. But then when the time was right, 
God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. I love that passage. But when the time was right, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. Because it reminds us that Jesus wasn't born just at any time. He was born at the right time. Let us never forget the baby born in the manger wasn't just the son of Mary. It was also the son of God. Too often in our haste to make sure that Christmas... I'm going to word this. To get too often in our haste to make sure that people celebrate the birth of Christ at Christmas. We miss the enormity of this birth. It's just not another baby. It's just not another birthday. It is God was born in human likeness. The divine taking upon himself the limitations of humanity. Which Paul reminds the early Christians in Philippians chapter 2, verse 6. Though he, Jesus, was God, he did not think the equality with God is something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. And he took the, took the position of a slave that was born as a human being. Now, did you catch that? Jesus was God. He's part of the Trinity. He, he helped create the universe. He shaped the planets in his hand. He cast the Milky Way into the sky. He always was and always is. And he chose to come to earth as a baby. God chose to take part in the full range of the human experience. Beginning with the trauma of his birth. And for the next 33 years, he lived just as we live our lives. He, don't, don't misunderstand this, but he had to go through potty training. He had to go through puberty. He experienced life just like we did as a teenager in the midst of, oh, have you ever, we'll look at this. Have you ever had a teenager say to you, you just don't understand? Somehow they think you magically were born as an adult, conceived as an adult, and never went through what they're going through. See, in the same way, we have yelled at God. I, I, I know you never yelled at God or had a conversation with God, but I've had conversations with God. And I said, you just don't understand. But he... Oh, that's not a thing to tell God. If you read Hebrews chapter 2, verse 18... Since he, that's this is Jesus himself, has gone through the sufferings and the testings, he is able to help us as we are being tested. That's what it says there. I would suspect that Jesus fell and skinned his knees more than once. Then he had a cold, and then he had the measles. Think of a measles attacking our Savior. But he, he did. He was the son of a carpenter. He got more of the splendors in his hand more than once. He knew what it was probably to be teased by the other kids. He knew loss. He lost his earthly father. As you can see at the cross when they came, his earthly father, Joseph, died sometime before he started his ministry. What is Christmas all about? 
It began with the child being born of a virgin far from home. There were angels and shepherds and wise men and gifts, but that was just the beginning. And for some, for some it seems to have ended right there. But others, they look at the whole 33 years and six miles down the road and they look at Christ being crucified. See, who will define Christmas for you this year? I will tell you, you will. Allow me to be bold here. Oh, I'm going to be bold, so don't shoot me until you hear the whole thing out. When you think of Christmas, you need to also think of Easter. No matter what you do, you can't have Easter without Christmas. You can't have Christmas without Easter. It is a whole package. Our Savior loved you so much that he came to be born of a virgin, to live a life, to experience everything you lived, so he can go to the cross, die, and defeat death. Three days later, the tomb is empty, and because the tomb is empty, we can shout for joy. We are a resurrection religion. The empty tomb matters. Christmas is the wind-up for the, for the empty tomb. Remember, it is not just the baby born in the manger, it is also the tomb that is empty. Some of you have challenged illnesses in your life. Some of you beat illnesses in your life. Some of you probably shouldn't be here, but you're here. You know what I'm talking about? Some of you have had intimate conversations with your doctor and think their doctor is full of cowpucky. None of you have ever thought that, right? Nurses rule, doctors drool. It's a great saying. Some of you have children not walking right. Some of you have lost people. When we go into Christmas, we have to remember the empty tomb. The two go hand in hand. You cannot have one without the other. Now... Since there's food downstairs waiting, I'm not going to belabel the, pe- the fact. That's hard teaching. One is after the other. I want everybody to take a whiff right now. There have been a herd of ladies downstairs getting ready for this potluck. So you need to go down and eat with them. So what's going to happen here is we're going to have a prayer of closing. Then we're going to have a prayer for the food. So when you get down there, you can start eating. Okay. Because if you have to wait for everybody to get down there to bless it, you'll, you just can't make it. We Take another whiff. Oh, come on, that wasn't deep enough. Whiff. <sighs> yeah, we, we don't want you waiting. And we make light. And things distract us. I could not have pulled off more distractions better this morning than any other time. But the problem is, Christmas gets distracting. Christmas makes things fall apart. Everything messes up on Christmas. It doesn't matter. What matters is that God so loved you that he sent his only begotten son to be born, to live a life, to proclaim the good news, to die upon a cross, and to conquer death. And because he can conquer death, 
Everything else doesn't matter. We are a resurrection religion. If Jesus had not conquered death, all this would be meaningless. The empty tomb changes everything. It changed Christmas. It changes you. It changes families. So let's close in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, as we celebrate this Christmas, let us thank you for the gift of your Son. Let us thank you for the gift of our adoption. Not by works we've done, but by your by your love, by your care. Nothing we did could pay for the price of our redemption. So you sent the spotless, blemishless Lamb of God. Our job is to repent of our sins and invite him into our hearts. He'll overcome all the woes of the world. He'll overcome all the distractions of the world and take us home. That is our prayer. Now, Father, please bless the food we are about to partake, all the hands that help prepare it. Guide us in our fellowship around the table. This is our humble, simple, childlike prayer. And all God's people said, Amen.